Welcome to Stone News Day with Kevin Clark. I am Kevin Clark. Yeah. Two titans of the game join me today. Number one, legendary tight end George Kittle. And joining me for a ball pit is Stephen Ruiz. Stephen, how are you doing, buddy? It must be a slow news day if you have me on. You know, you can't get... Where's Eli Manning? Where's Jim Nance? June 13th. They're all in the waiting room. Let's get to Big George. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, George Kittle is here, one of the best tight ends of his generation. He is here with Tight End University. What's going on, brother? Hey, how we doing today? I'm doing great. I love your collage back there. We don't, as I was, we were just talking about, we get a lot of these sort of corporate sponsored hits, and none of them have little backgrounds that have Gatorade bottles on on the shelf. So that's that's very impressive, George. We really appreciate your legwork here. Thank you. You know, I was up all night um, constructing this. It's hanging <laughs> on the wall. It was fantastic. You see my little backpack over here too. Oh, beautiful. Why don't you why don't you take a, a sip of that Gatorade? It looks refreshing. Take a sip for the people. <laughs> oh, wait, there you oh. go. It's just, Ruiz thought he was being a smart ass and he just got owned. There yeah, you go, I buddy. Owned. Damn. I'm just it's gonna like, leave. Me- <laughs> remember those uh remember those Nickelodeon shows that were like the kids were in the arcades and I never knew who, how it worked? Did anyone ever yeah. am I the only person who remembers this? Where you know, it's like, how is this happening? How how do they know where to go? It's a cartoon screen. I don't know. Um, I have a lot I have a lot of dumb Nickelodeon show memories. Um, we'll start with this, George, because you are here with Titan University. The tight end position, even since you've come into the league, has changed how? Because it feels like there was a generation above you, like the Jimmy Grahams. I mean, I think famously they had to go to literal court to prove that he was a wide receiver and not a tight end. You obviously um, have a different style. You adore blocking. You love running people over, but also you can you can catch as well as anybody who's ever played the game. Um, the tight end position, in your opinion, has changed how in the last few years, George? I think the biggest thing about the tight end position um, in the last, let's just say, eight years is that um, teams depend more on tight ends. And so you have to be kind of good at everything. And now you see every team that's in the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl has a really good tight end. Uh, I mean, last year you had Travis and Dallas Goddard, who's fantastic and very underrated. Uh, Definitely one of the better guys in the NFL. Um, The year Tampa won in 2020 was Kelsey and Gronk. Um, I've been in it. Uh, they just like, there's always really good tight ends that are playing this position because the tight end, like that's who you call. And that's the guy who's getting matched up with nickel safeties or linebackers. And neither one of those positions, um, covers the tight end very well, especially if you're a really good athlete and you know how to get open. And then, Hey, if you want to go, um, nickel, uh, you want to bring out an extra DB out there. Hey, bring him down to the box. Let's run outside zone and see if he can set an edge on me. I, I bet you a lot of money. He can't, the position's just evolving because there's more, there's more on our shoulders. And I think that's what everybody wants. I think there's body types. I and mean, obviously it's the same. There's a lot of the same heights and weights that there were 
15 years ago, 20 years ago, some of the guys are faster, a hell of a lot faster. Um, but do you feel like the the type of, of body and athlete, is that coming from other sports? Or are these guys who would have played basketball 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or they probably do. And then they, they, they see the value in playing tight end or, or defensive ends who want to go on the offensive side of the ball. Like the modern tight end comes from where? You know, you know, like the movie Lord of the Rings. I do. All right, I think it's the first one where they're birthing the Urukai to go hunt, like all the 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 Fellowship. That's tight mm-hmm. ends. Like we're built in a lab, but it's not a very pretty lab. It's kind of right. muddy and kind of gross and gritty, and that's where we come from because we do all the dirty work, but we're also there to show off all our highlight plays, and we're really pretty to look at. The majority of us are. And, you know, we're big, we're muscular, we're fast, we're strong. And it's cool, too, because, yeah, you, like you said, a majority of us now are anywhere from, like, 240 to 250. And uh, it's crazy how that's kind of changed over the course of time, too, because guys, tight end used to just be another offensive lineman uh, mm-hmm. who was, like, 255, 260, trying to do one-on-one battles with defensive ends. And now it's, you know, speed is the name of the game. And if you can't run, if you can't get open, and you're one-dimensional, it's kind of hard to stay on a football field. And that's one of the coolest things about tight end is, if you put in a bunch of work and you can do run blocking, pass pro and run routes and catch the ball, they don't, it can't take you off the football field. So you talked about all the hats you, you kind of had to wear as a tight end blocking, running routes. You're in the backfield. Sometimes what is your like week of preparation look like? Well, you hear wide receivers, they could just watch a cornerback that they're going up against. But for you, there's like edge rushers, linebackers, safeties that you have to worry about. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. I mean, every week I let's see, I get a cut up of whether it's, I get, every defensive end that I'm going to see um, and their how they set the edge and outside zone backside outside zone, how they are versus inside zone, their top pass rushes, whether it's on first and second down, like a play action or third down, if I'm in for chipping stuff. So I get a cut up of all those guys. Um, then I always look at whatever linebacker I'm going to see most, um, whether it's the Sam or the will have, I mean, usually the Sam linebacker, I get a cut up on him. And then I always look at uh, their strong safety and their starting nickel. So I go through about six guys of film that I watch uh, majority of their reps. And that's a shot, you know, our film guys, they push out to me. It's not like I have to go search for it, but um, you know, my coach, you know, hooks it up for me too. He knows how I like to watch film now. So I'm trying to watch as many guys as I possibly can just to prepare myself because, Hey, like I'm going to play every snap, but I know the defensive end across from me, unless it's probably Max Crosby, they're not going to play every single snap. And so you're going to get, the second string, you might even get the third string guy on some reps. And so just to know what they're about, because, uh, you know, football is a game where you can get got on any given day, like Marshawn said, and I'm doing my best to never get got. Amazing. Um, All right. So you walked into something that you don't know, but we're obsessed with Kyle Shanahan here. What's the most surprising, uh, crazy, wild thing that Kyle Shanahan has taught you about ball that if if you were given a thousand years, you would not have thought of? Hmm. I think one of my favorite things about Kyle is every um, every Friday during the season, we have a run game meeting. And so the entire offense comes in and we literally, we watch the defense that we're going against. So let's just say we're playing uh, the Los Angeles, the, the Rams, right? We, go, we had a game against the Rams. And he's going to show us all this tape, the plays that the Rams absolutely destroy and why they like, why they, it was a short yardage, like why it was went for no yards. And he's going to show, Hey, this is why it was successful. And this is like, Hey, you had to seal Aaron Donald. That's where we're going to use this B block and cut him off, get up to the second level. We had to separate the edge a little bit, give a little bit of space for our running back. He's got to push the tight ends outside foot and go, but then he would 
pull up to our practice tape for the, throughout the week, whether it's a Wednesday or a Thursday practice. Um, and you get to see those clips and they literally, they go like coincide back to back. And then this, him explaining why we're running the certain run plays that we're running. Hey, this defensive tackle, the second you make him run laterally more than like two or three times, he can't run laterally anymore. And then the third or fourth time that you run this play, he's going to be two yards slower. And that two yard gap is going to be big enough for Christian McCaffrey to get through there. And all of a sudden it's an explosive play. And so just kind of to see football as more of a chess match than it is like checkers. And it's kind of fun to see that aspect though, because I never thought of football like that. I just thought, Hey, you call a play. We're just going to try to get outside zone, try to seal the edge. But he definitely makes you look at it more in depth than, Hey, well, this is why we're running the plays that we're running. And that's kind of one of my favorite things that I've learned from him because now I look at defense as completely different. I'm like that D tackle is huge or, this edge is going to settle like this. So we have to use our double team, the spirit bros play that we use is, uh, you know, widen that a little bit. And it's just the way you look at it, it's just a little bit different. How, how do you think his offense and specifically his run game? Cause I think that's kind of where we've seen the, the most evolution since you've come in the league. How do you think it's changed? It seems like maybe you guys aren't as, I don't know. You guys don't uh, lean on the outside zone play as, as much as you used to maybe going back to when you first came into the league. Yeah, I mean, I think it's evolved every single year. Um, it's completely different than what we did, like my rookie year and my second year. Uh, much more creative. You see all the motions and stuff that we do. Um, all the fools, like we'll have a wide receiver in the front of the ball looking like he's going to down block. Instead, he's just juking the guy and going up to the second level. Uh, and like, basically, we're just doing everything that we can to cause confusion on the edges. Uh, because if you can match up, you know, tight end versus an outside linebacker or a defensive end one-on-one, but slow the defensive end down just like for a hair of a second. I'm going to pick myself over that guy every single time. And while, yes, the, our straight-up outside zone of just running it, a normal play and calling it changes, um, I'm okay with that because the way that we mess with defenses and, like, how all of our plays look the same now, like we'll start in a formation that's a three-by-one, and we'll motion a guy over. So then on hike, it's going to be a two-by-two, two, and then we bump it. The fullback goes, and all of a sudden, it's a three by one of the opposite side. Now the whole defense has to flip, and all their like all their responsibilities change. And like, let's just say a nickel to the field, his responsibilities like the D gap on the motion. Now it's the uh, was I think the A gap or the B gap, and then on the next guy motion, he's responsible for another gap entirely. And just so make guys right. think like that over the course of three seconds makes you play slower. But we know what we're doing, so we're going to play fast. And so it just causes confusion on the defense and it's really hard to prepare for because we're going to do that a couple of times. The next thing you know, Hey, it's a play action pass right behind you. And now Debo has the ball running full speed. And he's 15 yards downfield. Good luck. Is there a play that stands out in your mind where you didn't even think there was any chance of Kyle getting, or obviously the quarterback getting the ball, but Kyle scheming you open where it happened, where you can point to and say, that's Kyle Shanahan. If an alien came down and said, show me the play that defines Kyle Shanahan for you, that you were involved in, what would it be? Um, I'm mean, like, just going off of what I was talking about. We played Seattle in the playoffs this year. And, um, Kyle has this thing where like, if he wants to set up like a play action or a bootleg type of pass, he'll like, sometimes he'll just call a play, a run play that he knows is not going to work. I can't remember what game this was. I want to say it might've been like the Vikings one year, Seattle this year, but like we're running a run play multiple times and it's averaging like two yards of carry, two yards of carry, two yards of carry. And then we threw a play action behind it and Debo goes for 75 yards against Seattle. And the whole thing is set up because it's the exact same motion. It's the exact same alignment. It looks the exact same. And all of a sudden Debo's running the shallow 
I'm faking like on the defensive end linebacker thinks it's power. He steps up four yards and Debo's uncovered in the flat running for a touchdown. So it's just stuff like that. That's really fun because I mean, Kyle Shannon, he's like, Hey, if I can get my skill players ball with field, like with space in front of them, whether it's Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Juszczyk, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk, Juwan Jennings, we're all running for days. And that's, what's really fun. Cause we have such a great yak team. And that's one thing that we always talk about. So he can scheme us up open, and it's just—it's really fun to be a part of that offense. Uh, real quick, I just want a clarification: when he, with with Kyle and the, and the plays you're about and the, the runs that go for no yards, do you think he wastes plays like on purpose? No, it just okay. No, because uh, there's a clip. Um, who was it? It was when he was offensive coordinator for the Falcons. I think they're playing the Vikings, and the year that they're playing the Vikings, and he showed he showed me. I've seen this clip like 50 times over the course of my career. And they have these linebackers that are, it was, I think it, it might've been Chad Greenway. I, I can't remember, but like they're like their front seven was so good. And they ran the same outside zone play like three times in a row in the first two. And like they ran it three or four times in the first 30 plays. And then the 35th play, they ran it. And no, sorry. Right before the 30 play, they ran a pass play action off of it. And the linebackers, they covered it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they come back to the play again, but it's a run play. And the linebacker thinks it's a pass. And so he's late to the run. And it ends up being an 80 yard run. And after that, he shows the game. And then everybody was discombobulated because it changes up the whole structure of the defense because now they're like, oh, we have to overplay that. And now that's when all the passes get actually open. And so he calls it unlocking the defense, which I'm a huge fan of because, like, you can see that when the defense does, they're yeah. like, they have to change up and they can't just continue with their game plan. And then once you do that, and then now they're guessing about what we're doing, that's when Kyle just kind of, you know, eats people's lunch because that's what he's really good at is those game plans. There's, there's a lot of talk about what Kyle does for you guys, but you guys are a very talented team. There's a lot of good skill players. Uh, let's put, let's put you on the headset and give you the play call sheet. How many points are the 49ers putting up? If you're calling the place, you get to call his place. too. <laughs> You can you can lie too. You can just say fifty. There's no stakes here. You know what? Uh, we'll put up uh, twenty seven a game, uh, at least one or two defensive turnovers, and uh, uh, but I am going to get a couple fifty burgers. I will say that at least one or two of those. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, you know what's funny is George. I've never asked you about this, but when we used to do like off season mailbags and stuff, people would say, "What's the one player when if you had eleven of them, they would win." the Super Bowl, And a lot of times people would say George Kittle, what would 11 George Kittles look like on the field? I think there'd be a lot of power. Quarterback might be a problem. Nah, we'll be fine. Just okay. the ball. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. No, I, you saw a tight end through a touchdown on the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Yeah. Trey Burton. So, Hey, we can do that too. Um, I think you would see a lot of violence and aggression and a lot of goofy smiles at a camera every once in a while. <laughs> I know this, you can pass pro, you can run block, and you're going to yeah. be able to run routes and catch a football, and you're going to be able to block downfield. So, hey, it, it, I think it worked for us. And I might add, you know, a couple of pounds to, to my offensive lineman guys, but <laughs> it's, always been a, it's always been a dream of mine to play outside linebacker, actually, because those contracts look pretty fun, I will say that. <laughs> what position would wow. you play on the offense? Assuming, like, this, this would be like a clone situation. There's 10 fake George Kittles, and there was a real one. Where would you want to play? I'd be head coach. I'd be head coach. Yeah smart <laughs> or i'd be tight ends coach i'm okay with that too let those guys you know i get hit enough as it is you got to call the plays you're, you're putting up 27 a game 
That is true. You're not wrong. But hey, who knows? Other clone George might put up 30. But yeah, no, I've always wanted to play outside linebacker because that always looks really fun. Just to set an edge. Oh, gosh. How fun. How easy. <laughs> um, I Not to bring the energy down here, but you obviously played the championship game. <laughs> uh, was there a helpless feeling watching quarterback after quarterback go down? And how have you... I mean, it seems to me that game seemed like it was designed in a lab to be devastating and piss people off because it was just so frustrating, I'm sure, to say, okay, we're still playing okay, we're still playing okay, we're still playing okay without those quarterbacks um, and and just the injuries that we're accruing. Um, how have you processed that in the months since? Um, you know, I got asked this the other day at my media day, some summer to it, and I would just say, like, is it something I still think about? No, there's nothing that I feel like I really could have done differently. Like I played well still. And especially during the times where I did have an active quarterback, I played well. Um, I thought, I, you know, I gave all hundred percent of my effort. I didn't quit. You know, I tried everything I could to help the team out. I think a majority of our team did. And it really wasn't until once Josh went down the second time and Brock came in with a limp elbow and he couldn't throw left-handed, which was very disappointing, not ambidextrous. I told him to work on that this off season. Um, like, Ryan was on the wall and like, while it was just incredibly disappointing, it's just like, they have 11 guys in the box, you know, we're not going to pass it. It's like, yeah, it just sucks. So it's not really something I, I, I don't really think about anymore. Cause it's not like, Hey, if I would have dropped three passes and had two fumbles, yeah, I'd probably be pretty devastated on my, my self-esteem there, but I didn't, I played well. I think a lot of our team played really well. And I, so don't really linger on it. I also think I don't know if anybody in the in the world enjoyed watching that except for Philadelphia Eagles fans, as they should have. I know if the it would have been roles reversed. I know Niners fans would have loved that that experience too. Maybe uh Eagles fans and like Seahawks fans. But besides that, like no one really enjoyed watching that game. Um but yeah, no. Um don't really linger on it anymore. Excited to move on. One of the best questions I got after it was uh all these people were telling me, like, you know, all you gotta do is work harder. And I was like, how how is me working harder gonna keep my quarterback healthy? That's absolutely crazy. Um, because that was like a thing all these people were saying to like our whole team. And we're just sitting there like, I mean, I because I, I still believe if Brock Purdy stayed healthy, I'm I still think we win the game. Obviously we yeah. didn't, and it's fine. And you know, I can move on and you know, Philly fans can be mad at me. It is what it is. You know, they went on, you know, they won that game. So but like we had a fan we still have a fantastic football team that just needs someone to be able to run the quarterback position. Wait, someone, people were saying you guys should work harder after the game. Like the media was like, you guys should work harder. Yeah. It was like a bunch, and you know, like, bless, I love fans, but like some fans were just like, you know, all you guys got to do is if you work a little bit harder, you know, that's yeah. all it is. You're just like, I don't know. How do you, what's better? Like we won 12 games in a row. Steven's next question was to be about why you guys didn't work hard. Yeah, that was actually and yeah. why you didn't study the the uh, the ligaments in Brock Purdy's arm and, and all that. I stuff. know. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, have you studied medicine I... at all? Have you studied medicine at all, George? Like Kyle's such inward. a genius. Kyle's such a genius, <laughs> and he can't fix an elbow in in, in, a, in thirty minutes. Come on, I know, right? Like, what are we talking about here? But come on, Kyle, why are we drafting quarterbacks who can throw with both arms? What are we doing? Amazing. Um, real quick, uh, we I have two more before before we get to the tight end university plug. Um. First of all, you love, you mentioned Lord of the Rings earlier. You love fantasy stuff. We've talked about that in the past. What are you reading right now? What are you consuming that the people need to know about? I can pull it up for you one sec. I'm actually, I'm going through, there's this whole series of books. And let's see. Um, I don't know what the actual title is, but it's by uh, Brad Thor. It's kind of like a Jason Bourne type book. It's cool. There's like 20, I think they're on like book 23. 
but he's been writing these since he was like 1999. And I randomly picked up like the 20th book in the series. And now I've went back and I think I'm on book 13 or 14. And it's basically like a Jason Bourne thing. And every book's like a different disaster or kidnapping or presidential thing that he like uh, kind of snuffs out. So like, I'm big into that. My wife's big into like all the government show type stuff. So I'm reading that stuff on audible. I like, that's what I listen to every drive every morning. That's fantastic. It's entertaining. Um, but besides that, um, I just watched Fubar with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was pretty funny. I did enjoy that. Did any of the disaster novels cover the NFC title game? Uh, no, that's uh books. No, see, he, yeah. he's writing that one right now. Yeah, 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 cool. yeah. The author's actually from Nashville too, so I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, I'm a big fan. So it's called Work Harder. The 24th book is called Work Harder, and it's about the NFC title game. It's like Work Harder, a San Francisco 49ers uh, biography. <laughs> Um, tell us about Titan University and the folks who are putting it on. Oh, yeah. Well, Titan U, we're in year three. Pretty excited about it. Uh, Travis Kelsey, Greg Olson, George Kittle. We brought our big heads together. Uh, thought it'd be a good idea to, you know, bring all these tight ends to Nashville, Tennessee, and just kind of talk to each other, learn a, learn a little bit from each other, hang out, get to know each other. And uh, it's fun, too. We have 75 tight ends this year. Uh, we have 40 girlfriends and wives coming and my wife puts on a whole show for them, like wine tastings and stuff like that. So that'll be fun. Uh, but you know, tight end wise, uh, Gronk is coming this year. Jordan nice. Reed is coming this year to talk releases because there's no one like him. We're really excited about that. Travis is talking about, uh, routes versus certain coverages and how he runs them differently. I'm talking gap scheme, get your minds right. We're running power down your throat until you quit. Nice. Really excited about, really excited about that one um greg olson going to be talking about his leverage and his greg olson step um but then we get on the field we hang out we have quarterbacks coming in we got josh allen we got trey lance we got sam darnold cj bether nick mullins kurt binkert uh we had some great quarterbacks great vibes but like then you talk about the only way that we could do this is with our sponsors number one sponsor right there oops sorry this side right there there it is uh, mr Sharman. love Sharman. Sharman tight ends come on that's the easiest oh. easiest one that you could possibly do um this year too we have bridgestone is back for their third consecutive year we're doing a literacy program with bridgestone we have 200 kids coming in we're going to read with them talk about why reading is important and you know why school is so important why we wouldn't be where we are if we didn't do well in school um let's see we have that we have canes super excited about raising canes it's a new sponsor this year uh todd graves very excited to have him and his wonderful chicken and then last but not least this way nope this way there it is that way i was gonna say yeah, ah, it's great. It's backwards on mine. But anyways, Levi's, because uh, every tight end looks great in Levi's. Those are our sponsors. They're helping us put it all on. It's cool. We get, to, we get to bring everybody in. We pay for everything except for the flight. And then everything that we have left over, we just donate it right back to charity. Uh, it's pretty incredible to be able to work with these guys. George Kittle, tight end you. One of the one of the best ball conversations we've had in a long time. Thanks for coming on Sunday's Day, buddy. Hey, much love. See you guys. You have a good one. All right, Stephen, that was awesome. It was. I, I I wasn't expecting him to talk so much ball, and he he like brought it to us rather than the other way around. I mean, we we invited him into the ball pit. It's like a va- it's like a vampire. You have he to made himself at home though. <laughs> <laughs> he did like the Rick James like <laughs> yeah 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 the money on the shoes. He was on yeah. the couch. Um, that was awesome. We really enjoyed that. Um, I spent some time with him four years ago, three years ago for a big profile. And I knew 
what a good quote he is and how much he just loves he just loves football um in a way that i think is really interesting and when you know i i think that there's some things i think he got a couple of he went to iowa and basically was told like you just need to learn to run block he learned to run block and then everything else kind of fell into place um he's a very interesting football story the fact that he's with kyle shanahan is just beautiful from a football perspective it was written in the stars i just i love his career i love the guy i love the team and uh he just needs to work harder in the nc title game yeah, it's a shame that uh, he didn't put in the work. Listen, I asked, did he do any medicinal study? No. Has he spent a day in medical school? No. So who who's at fault here? Um, all right, so I want to run through your piece from last week, the five games that explain the next level of the NFL scheme wars. Um, I coined this term scheme wars in a 2018 piece, and I feel like you've stolen it, and I'm I'm okay with that because you've been writing good pieces. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it was placed upon me actually by an editor. Wow. So they somebody stole it from else you. stole. Somebody else lifted the the phrase scheme wars. They, they might have, or maybe but I'm you just passing funny? the buck. The one that's funny is the the original piece was called the scheme wars are over because the original thing was and then you you restarted. This is I scheme wars too. You. But I, I had this. I, I was a part of the scheme war to end all scheme wars, and your scheme war too. I'm the Ryan original Johnson. piece was about how pro the pro style offense died. Oh, it's coming so, back. It might be coming back. <laughs> All right. Look so out. um, so let's go through it. I, I have a big picture question for you. Like the biggest change last year scheme wise was what? I know that's a big question, but just give me a big answer. Okay. I think uh, here's how I'll say it. Tired. I'm going to use that meme format. Tired disguising coverages, wired disguising, disguising run fits. I think mm. that was like the big thing for defenses is like, Putting putting the quarterback's mind in even more of a blender, I think, has become the thing that defensive coordinators need to do because you see all these quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, uh, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and maybe say for Burrow, we describe them as like these aliens, these these freak quarterbacks that we've never seen. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think they've taken like the model that we saw be so successful for Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, the last generation of quarterbacks, and they just have evolved that. It's like now, like Patrick Mahomes can do all the things that Tom Brady was doing when he was Patrick Mahomes' age. The only thing is he could throw the ball 90 yards and he could do it on the run. He could throw with his left hand and stuff. So I I think defenses have had to evolve to not only account for the smart quarterback, which kind of came into being like around the time of Brady and uh, and Manning. And now you have to add in an element where you have to account for the quarterback in the run game. So it's just gotten more complicated for defenses. And I think... The main takeaway for me, at least, is the best defensive coordinators are the ones that have the most answers. And I think that was always mm-hmm. the case with Bill Belichick, right? Like, you talk about Pete Carroll and that Seattle defense, you're like, oh, yeah, they, they ran cover three all the time. And you talk about the the Tampa Bay defenses of the previous decade that were so good. And you're like, oh, yeah, they ran Tampa, too. Now, do that with Tom or do that with uh, Bill Belichick. You can't. You're not like, oh, yeah, this is the scheme they ran all the time. It's because he had a bunch of answers. And that was why he was always good at coming up with game plans. And I think... It's kind of like, and I tried to use this term with Solak a couple of weeks ago and he shot me down. The bellification of the NFL? I don't know. I, I, I got to work. Bellicheckification? Bellicheckification. Yeah. You can't yeah. say bellification because no one's going to know what you're talking about. That's what Solak said. It was a good point. He's right. It's a smart guy. Yeah. But um, like, you look around the league, like Big Lou, Lou Anarumo in, in Cincinnati, uh, Mike McDonald in uh, Baltimore. And I think that's the new wave of defensive coordinators. The guy that can come up with the game plan. 
Hey, so your first game that you mentioned is Bills 31, Rams 10, which set the tone for a couple of things. Number one, that the Rams were going to have a season from hell. But Ken Dorsey took over in Buffalo as UFC. I think Ken Dorsey's an interesting guy. I thought he had a lot of success last year. He got a lot of criticism. There's a lot on his plate. Like anytime you you draft a guy who's kind of a jack of all trades guy like Dalton Kincaid, it somehow becomes a litmus test of the offensive coordinator, whether or not they can use them. Like I, this is a completely different thing, but it was always like, oh, we got Tavon Austin. It's up to the OC for a plan. And like even even like uh like like every draft, every time there's like a scout or a GM or whatever on media. And they're always like, what would you do with this guy? And the, the, the cliche answer is always, well, the first thing you got to do is make sure your OC has a plan. And it's like, I don't even know what that means. Like what, there's OCs who are going to be like, yeah, we're just not going to use them. Just not going to use them. But obviously there's gadget plays and ways to get him the ball and all of that stuff. But I, I think that's pretty universal. I think that the worst type of OC is still going to find a way to, you know, and like even the, this is separate, but like, there's so many, I, I saw someone the other day who was like, this guy's fast. Why, why don't they just give him jet sweeps? And it's like, well, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. You can't just put the ball in somebody's hands. But anyway, someone like Don Kincaid now puts the pressure on Ken Dorsey. But like, can you just describe what the Bills did last year on offense that was different from the Day Bowl thing? And then beyond that, kind of where he needs to go and where's this Bills offense going? I thought they tried to do more stuff, especially initially, like a, a more of a variety. There was... That time with the Bills, I think there was a game against Kansas City in the playoffs where they ran it like 23 times in a row to start the game. Or not ran it, they passed it. They did not run the yeah. ball for the first time. And like that was always the talk with them is that it's so easy to sit on the pass because they never could run the ball. And I thought that Dorsey tried his best last year. And it was working early on to, to change that, to rectify that problem. And I thought it was just schematic diversity and personnel diversity. And I think you wrote a, a, an article before the season about that very thing, about how mm -hmm. they were looking to to put more personnel groupings on the field, to get like some 12 personnel out there, to get some 22 personnel, some 21 personnel out there. And I think that's what the Kincaid pick is a continuation of. But I thought the problem with Dorsey was his usage of personnel. And maybe that's a, first, a front office thing. I thought he, he was a little too loyal to Isaiah McKenzie. I, I didn't think he gave Dawson Knox the ball enough. But I think that's also something that you learn as an offensive coordinator is how to spread the ball around, how to get your guys their shots, so to speak. And that's the one area that I think he needs to work on. But in terms of scheme, even like when things were going bad for Buffalo at the end of the year, after Josh Allen hurt his elbow, he was finding ways to get it done. Like you look at their stats from last year compared to Dables last year, they approved in every metric, literally every metric. And there was like this criticism that they were too reliant on the big play at the end of the year they were first in success rate, which is like the opposite measure of explosiveness. It's like down to down yeah. consistency. And I think the problem at the end of the year was they had to do that because Josh Allen couldn't hit a short throw because of his elbow. Like his off target rate on throws under like five yards was 25%, which is a ridiculous number. If I putting that into context, like last place in the NFL is probably like 20% on all throws. And it's like Zach Wilson. This guy could not hit a layup. <laughs> And they didn't have an interior offensive line, which they rectified during the offseason. They don't have pass catching depth behind Stefan Diggs, really. Like Gabriel Davis is a good player, but he's kind of inconsistent. And you put all that together and then you look at the stats and they improved across the board. 
And I, I'm having a hard time figuring out where the criticism comes from. And I think what it is, it's a psychological fan thing where we saw Brian Dayball turn Josh yeah. Allen into what he was at Wyoming into a superstar. Ken Dorsey's never going to get that benefit of the doubt. Well, there's also Mina and I did top coaches last week and we were talking about who gets to blame if Buffalo doesn't get very far in the playoffs this year and this year. And we think I maybe we disagree a little bit, but like there's some talk that it could be Sean McDermott, whatever. But last year, it's too quick to blame Sean McDermott for anything. He's obviously a very good coach. So then you're like, well, who's to blame? And obviously, Wesley Frazier gets fired, but Sean McDermott's a defensive coach. And so everyone just kind of reflexively blames the person it seems is likeliest to be at fault, even though that is not the case. It is not the case. Um, it's interesting because I think that you talked about the diversity of the skill sets or the, the, the personnel sets and all that stuff. A lot of that is Dorsey's background, where he played in an extremely vanilla pro style offense in college. He goes to Canada, learns all of this stuff at the beginning of kind of the zone zone read pro football evolution. Uh, he goes to Carolina and his his job is literally to teach Cam Newton NFL concepts. But then you have to remember, like, not only was Cam Newton teaching Ken Dorsey certain concepts, but like he'd already learned those concepts. So you're blending like Ken Dorsey was at the forefront of the blending between college schemes and pro schemes, the scheme wars, for instance, um, the so-called scheme wars. Um, and so I think that there's a pressure to um, to to use everything you know, um, and that's that's just going to happen early early in a career. There's a Steve Martin autobiography that is one of the best books I've ever read, and he's talking about. I think I want to get this right, but basically, like Johnny Carson is is totally flopping on stage, and just Johnny just starts doing magic tricks, and Steve is like, "What the hell are you doing?" And Johnny leans over and whispers and says, you're going to use everything you've ever learned. Cause it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but like, I'm just going to start doing magic tricks. And I'm going to get out of this pickle. Right. And like, that's coaching too, where it's like, you don't know, you don't know what you need until you get there. Um, right. And Ken Dorsey, I mean, this is a guy who was it was going to call plays at app state, then got hired away. Like he's never really called plays on a, on a large scale. And all of a sudden then he's calling plays in the NFL in year one. I just think that there's, there's a, I think being mad at him after one year, and I do think it's a minority of the of the fan base, um, but it, it is uh, a little bit premature. All right, let's move on to an interesting team that you shouted out, which is the Broncos defense. Obviously, full uh, full scale coaching change, so we can't really carry the scheme over. But I guess my question is: Is the Denver defense enough to where, if there's competence from Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, that this team could be decent this year? I think so. I think I'm a little higher on the Broncos, especially compared to where I was last year. I think both of us were a little lower on them. Uh, Sean Payton's a good coach, and I think you can't overrate that aspect. And they're coming from a bad coach. And that's like the biggest jump I think you can make it in one single offseason, realistically, without like overturning the roster. And I'll say this about Sean Payton. I, I know most of his success came with Drew Brees, who's just a totally different quarterback from Russell Wilson. But we also saw Sean Payton, like when Brees was getting more injured at the end of his career and when he retired, we saw Payton find success with guys like Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, even Andy Dalton last year, I know Payton wasn't there, but it's the same scheme. Like they got some good play out of Andy Dalton. So I think this is a, a system that can change and can and understands quarterback strengths and weaknesses. And I think Sean Payton's going to get the most out of Russell Wilson, but that defense, I mean, it's hard to say just because like you said, it's a, a scheme change, but they have a lot of talented players. Uh, Patrick Sertain is 
maybe the second best cornerback. I he might be the first mm-hmm. best cornerback. So I think there's enough talent there. Uh, but I wouldn't bet against them going like eight and nine, nine and eight. It's just tough in that division. But they're going to be a competitive football team for sure. Totally agree, Nate Hackett. I mean, I, I I don't really want to overstate this. I don't want this to be hot take. I don't want to get aggregated. By the way, I saw Bob Costas call out aggregators. Nate Hackett is the doofus version of Urban Meyer. Right. No, I call them kids bop or Urban Meyer during the season. You, you remember <laughs> because, you said you, you said the Johnny Carson thing about doing the magic tricks. Yeah. Nate Hackett actually did magic, probably actually did magic tricks. There's no way that guy does not own a whoopee cushion. Remember when he called, uh, he was calling touchdowns tutties in the preseason and we were texting. It's even worse. And we were just like, this, this is not, this is not it. This is not, this is not it. Um, all right. Anything that we'll end on this. Is there any scheme, scheme development that you see coming this year based on what you saw last year that we should know about? Like, I know that this is a crazy, all the college football fans got mad at me in like 2018 because I wrote a thing about how the RPO has arrived in the NFL and all these folks from like, you know, the University of Houston were like, hey, pal, welcome to 2006, buddy. And I'm like, well, first of all, like schemes creep slowly into pro football. Second of all, I write about pro football, so I don't care that, that this was happening 11 years. I didn't care. I don't care that Rich Rod was doing this. Okay. Not my problem. Not my problem. And so, uh, but it was like the RPO arrived in the NFL, like slower than we ever thought. And then once it was here, it was a mess because broadcasters couldn't identify it for three years. And now I think we're there. Um, but kind of in that same vein, is there anything where you just, we're looking on this, we're looking at this in November and we're like, okay, this is the year of blank. Yeah, I think it's like the simulated pressure and the cool word for it is like a creeper. I think that's some terminology some coaches use, but it's it's basically the answer to the RPO where I think it's also going to be hard to identify for broadcasters if it does become a thing. But a, a simulate pressure is basically it's designed to look like a blitz. So usually like a linebacker or like a, a cornerback or safety is coming off the edge or they can be coming up the middle. Uh, and then a traditional pass rusher, like a defensive tackle, defensive end drops off into coverage. So you're getting like a blitz pattern, but you're still dropping seven into coverage. And obviously that's very useful in today's NFL where stopping the pass matters the most fooling the quarterback is a big deal, like getting them to slow down. And it also, another thing it does is you can't get the back out into protection. So like a guy like Joe Burrow, who loves to have five receivers out in protection, he can't get that, that back. So he can't throw the flat, can't throw the check down and it makes it harder for him to keep the the offense ahead of the chains. And I think that's a big reason why Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator from Baltimore had so much success against the Bengals. Like you look at Joe Burrow's splits between when he played Baltimore and when he played everyone else, it's insane. And I think the simulated pressures was a big part of Baltimore's plan. And McDonald's obviously a guy that came from college. He was coaching uh, Michigan's defense the year before. That's, that's where the game is at the college level, like simulated pressures and, and they're going back to like spot drop zone. So I think that's the next, the next wave is let less man coverage, more of these like weird zones where you don't know where guys are coming from. You don't know where the blitz is coming from. You don't even know if it's a blitz or a regular pass rush. I think that's the next thing for this season, at least. Talk to a DC with a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge with the college game. And they were basically saying that the simulated pressures thing comes from the fact that everybody's scared of your pressures in college. And then if you can just even flick at the idea of pressure, 
there's a 19 year old who's like, holy shit. And then there's a coach on the sideline who's also like, holy shit, because he's usually knee deep and just trying to get 11 more recruits and doesn't really know what's going on. And it's just like, I don't need this pressure right now. I just don't, this is the last thing I need is pressure. And so, uh, like that is why it creeps up, but then it works. So what you're saying is that it's, it's Jover for Joe Burrow. No, no. Cause Joe Burrow is one, is one of the few, not few, one of the handful of quarterbacks who can adjust to something like that. Like I, He's people talk about how Mahomes Burrow, or sometimes they say Allen Mahomes is like the next Manning uh, Brady matchup. I think Mike McDonald, Provided he stays in Baltimore as defensive coordinator, I don't know how long that's going to last because I think he's destined for a head coaching job. I think McDonald versus Burrow is the new Manning versus Belichick. I think that's Ooh. a more apt comparison where like the secret to Cincinnati's success is pretty simple. It, it was the same in, in Indianapolis. Like you have this quarterback who's just brain. He has these two star wideouts on the outside. They don't have to mix things up. They don't have to like fool you with scheme. The quarterback is going to know what defense you're in, and he's going to be able to find an answer because he's got those two guys providing great answers all the time, plus Tyler Boyd. Mike McDonald's the guy who changed, he changes the picture every snap before and after the snap. He just makes it so hard on him. He's got a lot of answers. Like I said earlier in the segment, like I think that's the key to calling a good defense now is having a lot of answers, but Joe Burrow knows how to adjust. So I think it's going to be like a fascinating punch counter punch situation where McDonald landed the first blow last year, like in all three games, he really did a good job against Burrow, but I think Burrow is going to have something for him this year. Um, I think the Bengals might win the Super Bowl. Ooh, I'm not going there. I'm, I, I, I'm, not, I, I, I'm just, I'm just thinking about it out loud, but I'm just, it, it might. My problem is they're, they're like bleeding depth. Like every, over the last two years, they've kind of lost a little depth. I think we need to see. Um, yes. I, but see I this also offense think that supernova for it to happen. But the offense can go supernova. It can, and, and, but, the, and, and, but I think we're looking, I think I said this the other day on this, a pod, but we we're talking about it where somebody said to me that we're going to look back on the receivers under those contracts with Joe Burrow and be like, this was a special time in history. Right. Anything about next year, and like that's this is the last dance for some of those contracts and Joe Burrow's contract. And it just feels like I had to study it more, but it just feels like the kind of team where we go, oh, wait, all those guys are on that roster. That seems pretty good. No, I think they had a good offseason, so I could see it happening. I, you know, I love every my, my, my rule is that every Super Bowl champion looks obvious in hindsight. So then it's OK. What? Find it. Find it. Find it, what's yeah. going to be obvious in hindsight. It's the it, most like it's the receivers back, and the quarterback. Yeah. No, but what I'm saying is, is that you look at the co- collection of contracts and it's always like, of course they won the Super Bowl. Look uh, at these damn contracts or like, because it's a roster. It's an extension of the roster. Yeah. Like, I mean, that happened with Seattle, but it, with Seattle, it happened early in the, the contracts. And I feel like that was the takeaway when Seattle won the Super Bowl. It's like, oh, oh, not only did they just dominate the team that we thought was the best team in the NFL at the time but they have all these superstars on rookie contracts for at least two more years. But then it didn't work out. They didn't win another Super Bowl. Well, they almost did. They got Belichick because, uh, because Tom Brady was taking less. He he was the super contract. (laughs) The reason Malcolm Bella got that interception is because Tom Brady took less, uh, took less money. That's right. That was the key. And Brady and Belichick wouldn't have thrown to, uh, wouldn't have thrown to whoever that receiver was. They would have waited till the next play. 
because they know ball. that's exactly right that's exactly right no um I, I it's funny because i do really do believe a lot of the rookie contract stuff is overhyped and overvalued but i also do believe that if you have a critical mass of cheap players that's the best competitive yeah. advantage you, and like uh, go ahead do you think it's going to matter when they sign those guys i i i honestly don't like I know people are. I'd have to look. I'd have to. But 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 it all depends. First of all, they draft really well. They draft generally. They had some extremely high profile misses, but they draft generally really well, which is really all that all that counts when you start getting those really expensive people. I also just don't know. We've never had the Bengals with that expensive of a quarterback. Andy Dalton was basically on like a year to year scam contract. He was on a crypto contract, and so like I don't know how the the Bengals are going to operate just as a franchise when they're paying that kind of money, they're already selling the naming rights. Yeah. Uh, I, I really just don't think anything that happens around those three guys, provided they keep them will matter. I, I think this is the, I don't think Joe Burrow is as good as paid Manning. So don't put it in the paper that I think that, but like, I think they could replicate what the Colts did. They had Reggie Wayne, they had Marvin Harrison, they had the superstar quarterback and then everyone just filled in around them. And it never seemed to be a problem. They never even had one of those years where it was like, oh, what's wrong with the Colts? They're only won 11 games. Like it seemed like they were winning 13 games every year. So I, I really don't think it's a barrier. Maybe the cash flow situation is like beyond my thinking as someone who just like kind of looks at the salary cap and doesn't consider those things. But Mike Brown's not that cheap. The Browns aren't that cheap. Come on now. You sure about that? No, I'm not actually. All right. Thank you to Richie Bozick for his help. Thank you to George Kittle for showing up. That was amazing. Steven Ruiz, see you on the Ringer NFL show, my old stomping grounds. This has been Slow News Day on the Ringer Podcast Network. We'll see you soon.